Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. This is episode seven of the Speaks Exchange podcast. I'm Don Taylor. Welcome to the podcast, Megan Torrance. Megan, could you introduce yourself, please? Hello. Yes, I'm uh, Megan Torrance, the CEO at Torrance Learning, and we do custom learning design and development and the software and platforms to support that. That's great. Megan, we don't usually have uh, vendors on the show. You're here for your particular expertise in XAPI. Do you want to say something quickly about your background in that? Absolutely. We started using XAPI in a project in 2013, which was the year that uh, version one was released, and got very excited about its possibilities for recording learning outside of learning management systems. Since 2015, we've been leading the XAPI learning cohort, which helps people get started using XAPI. I'm really passionate about helping people start uh, start new projects and, and, and get their feet wet. And we'll talk a bit later about that gap in time between 2013 and now, 2019, why it's taken so long for XAPI to, to rev itself up. But, but firstly, very briefly, what is XAPI and what's the current state of its use? Sure thing. So XAPI is a data specification for how we talk about learning and performance experiences. Uh, It will replace SCORM and really do much more than SCORM, right? So SCORM talks about e-learning and it happens inside of learning management systems. And those of us in the e-learning space will will say that learning happens in more places than just from e-learning in learning management systems. And uh, none of that's being tracked. So that's really, that's the nutshell. For okay. And I do like your the way, the way emphasis you put there on the fact that learning doesn't just happen in the systems that we provide. Absolutely. Very quickly, if listeners aren't quite aware of SCORM, could you just outline what that is? Sure thing. SCORM keeps track of about 20 different things that happen between an e-learning course and the learning management system it sits in. It is a vocabulary for talking about some very basic and shallow learning data, but it also is an interoperability platform that means globally anybody can create with about 1200 US dollars worth of software, anybody can create e-learning that operates in any learning management system. So what SCORM has done, it's been around since about 2001, is provide for a very, very interoperable marketplace, almost no barriers to entry, and and, and really the ability for consumer organizations to have a lot of choice in learning management systems and content. But from a learning analytics perspective, it's super shallow because it keeps track of things that you can report in your LMS. So completion, time spent, that kind of stuff. As you say, this is, we might call it learning, data it's really activity data more than anything else you've got a great metaphor that you use in terms of telephones to compare SCORM and XAPI run us through it 
Yes. Okay. So when I was growing up, and I'm going to date myself here. Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, we had a box on the wall in the kitchen, and it had a 16-foot squiggly long cord because uh, we were very fancy. Uh, and I could use this box and the handset on the end of that cord to call friends. And I had to be connected to my box on the wall, and they had to be connected to their box on the wall to do one thing, and that is a voice call. Yes, I grew up prior to, or at least prior to my family having an answering machine. The cell phone that I carry in my pocket, and it is never more than an arm's length away from my body 24-7, that does take calls, although very rarely, nobody calls me. I can send text messages, play games, count my steps, take photographs and video. I actually have a Samsung phone, which has a shockingly accurate pulse oximeter on it. A what? A pulse oximeter. So I can tell you my blood oxygen content in seconds. And I've actually tested it in emergency room. It is shockingly accurate. But the thing is, is that that phone does, oh, and it will work offline and store data and send it later if you want to. So there's tons of things that this does. And this phone actually will do things that were invented after it was manufactured. So it not only does the same thing that my telephone on the wall did, but it does a whole lot of other things and is future-proof. So that is really, really important as well. It's a great metaphor for it. And by the way, I remember in the United Kingdom growing up buying our first answer phone, our answering machine. We had to have somebody from the general post office come round and demonstrate it to us before they would sell it to us. And it was hugely expensive. It's, it is literally a lifetime ago and several generations of technology ago. I like the analogy. So let's go back to this question then. Version one of XAPI, previous to that, it was called Tin Can, the idea being that you could communicate between, I think, two tin cans with a piece of string in the middle, was launched in 2013, and there was a lot of noise about it when it launched. Why is it taken so long to gather well, momentum? So, so it's it's interesting, right? We're looking at technology adoption, and if you look at Facebook and Google, they did not get mass adoption the year after they were released, right? So, and 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 we are looking. I did research with the eLearning Guild this summer. We're looking at the wave coming of mass adoption. We're still in early adopter stage right now. Early on, XAPI required geeks. So you had platforms that we have didn't have um, geek-free, my term I like to use for it, geek-free tools that allow anybody to do it. So you needed developer support both on the sending and then early on on the, the, the receiving of data, but very quickly there were learning record stores ready to receive data. The, the, the learning record store community has done a fabulous job of working to educate consumers, but until they have rich data to send into their learning management or their learning record stores, it doesn't seem very exciting. So most of, not all, there's some very nice notable exceptions, but most of the e-learning authoring platforms, which are the tools we all have our hands on. There's lots of ways that people learn, right? But we have our hands on e-learning authoring tools and they send, tend to send very shallow, boring data. So you get this fancy learning record store, you send really boring data to it. It's like, well, that wasn't very exciting. So it, it, takes, some, it, 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 it takes some convincing. It takes some curiosity and some interest interest in, in getting better data, it takes a, a, a little bit of experimentation. So in the early days, it was pretty, the, the cool thing about XAPI is that you can send data about anything. Where SCORM is a vocabulary and you're limited to about five shallow pieces of data, uh, XAPI, you can send anything about data about anything, but then having those standards in place and those rules in place about what should I be getting so I can get 
good reporting out of it. So all those things have to come together. Geek-free tools, solid learning platforms, and rules around how are we talking about different kinds of learning and performance experiences before mass adoption is really, really ready. And I, I think, think we're close to that. I think it's a really good point. And I agree with you, Megan. I have been following trends around learning technology adoption, in particular for the last six years. And I, I agree. I think we're hitting a, a point where it'll take off. And we should have mentioned your report about this earlier. Please, can you just fill us in? You've done a report recently for the eLearning Guild. Can you tell us about it, please, and how to find it? And by the way, everyone, we'll put the URL for this into the show notes. Megan. Oh, excellent. Yes. So this summer, I did research with the eLearning Guild on the state of XAPI adoption. So not the state of the specification itself. It's actually toward a, a version two release uh, in 2020, but the state of the adoption it's and, and how people are getting started. And what we found was that there are a very small number of people who are using it in production capacity, right? actually using it with actual learners on actual live programs. There are a number of people who are using it in experimental mode. There's lots and lots of ways to experiment, some on their own and then some through the cohort. And then there's a large wave, I think it was something like 45% of the, the respondents interested in XAPI, curious about using it and just haven't gotten started yet. Many of them indicated that they are looking to get started in the next year, if not the next one to three years. So that's your wave right there. That's your wave. It's a great piece of research. And I thoroughly recommend reading it and everything you say and all the research points towards you being absolutely right. It's XAPI is finally about to hit the hockey stick. My observations, technologies which are new tend to take five to six years for this to happen. That sounds about right from 2013 mm -hmm. through to today. And it also goes to show, guess what? This is not a straightforward, like-for-like -like replacement with SCORE. If it were, it would have picked up much sooner. The reason why we've been delayed in getting this in place is that, well, it's a new technology and that requires a new technology adoption. All right, so it sounds like it might be, for people listening in, despite the wave of adoption coming, quite complex. So, Megan, how can people get a sense of what XAPI can do for them without investing a lot of time and money? This is always the key thing for any new technology. You want to try it out, test it without getting burnt. What can people do? So there's a, there's a couple of things. And in the XAPI learning cohort, we have about, actually, we run about 650 signups every semester. We've been running it. It's a 12-week program. And we run it spring and fall. And here's what we see with, yeah, it's it's got a, there's a lot of, of, of action in there. We've had over 2,000 people people, unique people, totally. Uh, they're all very unique. Unique people come through the program so far. And here's what we see. And, and you don't need to join the cohort to, to do this yourself. Most early projects and experiments with XAPI involve e-learning tools. So those are the tools that we have at our disposal. We've already paid for the licenses. We just go into the published settings and we tweak it over and we say publish to tin can. You said that's the old term for it. and Or, or XAPI. And you get a free trial version of the learning record store if your LMS doesn't have a learning record store inside of it. And you can be sending data. Now you'll get data that looks a lot like SCORM with a little bit of JavaScript or depending on the tool that you have, you'll get data that's a little bit more rich than SCORM. And you can be sending data and then manipulating data using it in very short order without having to get extra budget or having to get approval or even telling anybody what you're doing, right? So, so you can be doing it. The second wave of projects that we 
see people do then are extending that either by adding JavaScript and getting better stuff out of the e-learning, right? So if, if you think about it, e-learning is a great place to start because you have all those tools, but the whole point of XAPI is you can record things that are a lot more than e-learning. So the second wave are tools that are in the learning and development space. So we're not going off our rails, we're staying in line, but they're tools that send XAPI data. So Curator, Zappy Apps, Mobile Coach, Flip.Training, there's a lot of tools that are coming online that are in the learning space. They were slower to adopt XAPI, most of them, because they are, they don't report completion like SCORM does. So if you don't do SCORM to begin with, what replaces SCORM doesn't seem like a logical thing for you. I am seeing more and more vendors because I go up and down the expos and I say, hey, that's a cool tool. Does it do XAPI? And it used to be, what? Oh, lady, we do lots of APIs. I'm like, no, right? <laughs> now, now about half of them either say, yes, I do XAPI or uh, they say it's on the roadmap. So they at least know what it is, right? So more and more, you'll be able to get data from tools that are not e-learning, right? You can also, in that space, go find a developer and, and build something, right? So the third wave of projects, and these are much, a little bit more complex, right, are people who are using data outside of the L&D space and, and, and taking business data and sending that to the learning record store. And then you're using that data to inform the learning experience that you're building and vice versa. The learning then informs the performance experience. That is trickier because it requires that you go outside of the L&D department and, and, and you have to go out and, and get partners and get access to data and probably start spending a little bit of money in order to do that. So those are that's really the third generation of projects that we see. Thank you, Megan. Great, coherent, clear explanation. It's clear you've been through this with many times with many people. I love this idea of you traipsing the exhibition halls relentlessly for six years asking people, does it do XAPI? And then completely getting it wrong in the past, but coming up to speed now. Quick bit of clarification. Uh, we're talking about learning record store. It occurs to me everything needs to be defined. Can you just let us know what is the learning record store or what is a learning record store? Yes. Okay. So the learning record store or LRS is the, the specifications database for receiving, holding onto, and giving back your data when you ask for it. It is required for XAPI and it is designed to keep track of what we call ragged write data. So the, the very long sentences or the very short sentences that your XAPI data can come in and then to be able to, to, to report and, and retrieve them. So the core of the learning record store is based on the specification and can be tested. There is an a, a adoption and a, a conformance test for learning record stores that you can use to make sure that the learning record store that you're using follows all the rules of XAPI that you expect it to be. There are learning record stores that are not conformant. So some of the LMSs, learning management systems have put in learning record stores that do many of the things you would expect for XAPI, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. So you can get some basic usage, but not fully. So a learning management system manages your employee tree, right? So the LMS gets a lot of bashing. So if you don't mind for a second, right? The LMS does a lot of useful things. It hosts your content. It is the catalog. It is the library. It is where am I supposed to go to get the information on how to do my job or the next job that I want? What does the organization expect of me? It's not a bad thing. It has my org tree. It has approvals routing. Um, it has visibility for my manager to see what I'm doing. It does all sorts of good things. Learning record stores out of the box aren't, they're not created to do that. 
Some of them in the future may do all of that. But you have a lot going on in a learning management system that doesn't have happen in a learning record store. So when LRSs first came out, I was like, whoa, I get to replace my LMS. And that's not exactly the case. I either need one that does both, right? And there are a handful of them out there that, that do a fully or nearly fully conformant learning record store inside of an LMS, which is pretty awesome. And then there are, I call it the sidecar model, where you have your LMS. You use your LMS for all the things that you need in LMS 4, right? And you have a learning record store that sits alongside it, and you send all your interesting data there. I love your range of metaphors and visual uh, images for explaining things. The sidecar model explains it perfectly. I think most people in large organizations are going to want an LMS motorbike with an LRS sidecar tacked on the side. While we are in the business of defining terms, we didn't touch on the syntax of XAPI statements. If we're talking about this here, we'd be remiss if we didn't quickly mention the syntax and therefore the sentences, or at least the formulation of output that you get from XAPI statements. Megan, can you explain something about that? Absolutely. And, and your description of it as a sentence is, is, is spot on, right? So, so the core of an XAPI statement is an actor, right? The person or the thing that is sending data. There's a verb and an object. And so the verb indicates what it is you're doing on a particular object or activity. That's the core and, and gets you very, very basics. And an example of that would be, I saw you at DevLearn in Vegas and you had a fridge, a very small fridge uh, on the desktop of uh, Megan's stand. And I opened the fridge and I closed the fridge and I saw the XAPI statement flash up and I think said, user 61 opened and closed the fridge or perhaps that's not accurate but it was something like that Megan is that fair enough that's absolutely and that is an example of the of API being used to track a performance activity so I could teach you how to open and close a refrigerator and then I could measure do you open and close the refrigerator the nice thing about that sensor helps me describe the rest of the XAPI sentence so the sensor also keeps track of things like the temperature and and uh, I IoT sensors can do all sorts of things, right? So this particular one keeps track of this sensor. So when you open the fridge, we get that as a basic statement. We also get the temperature of the refrigerator at the same time, along with uh, timestamp information and other things that might be relevant. So there are context and extensions and results and all sorts of things that we can use to, if I could continue the metaphor, I could make a very long run-on sentence of really interesting information about Don Taylor opened the refrigerator. That then allows me more information and is really gets to the reporting and the capabilities of the reporting that are so important with XAPI. The fridge becomes quite a valuable example of the value of XAPI then because we're not talking about me completing a course, although that could be tracked. We're not talking about me necessarily accessing a resource, although that could be tracked. We're talking about something else. Did I open the fridge? Yes. Did I close it? Yes. But also what was the performance activity around that that leads you to say whether that was a successful opening and closing the fridge or not because if I opened it and left it open too long and let the temperature drop or rise in this case I failed and the milk goes off or whatever so there's a lot of stuff you can get from the real world rather than simply from activity in a computer system and in particular activity in an e-learning computer system this is very far away from and further forward than SCORM itself isn't it absolutely absolutely SCORM 
has no way, I mean, yeah, there are those of us who could trick SCORM or, you know, kind of force our way into a, a multiple choice question. We could give you a quiz question that said, did you open the refrigerator? And you could answer it, yes, and we could say, that's the right answer. Um, <laughs> but that's all we could do with SCORM. We could even say, what was the, you know, which of the following is the band in which the temperature was, right? But we were, you know, so, so we could trick SCORM, sure. Was it useful? No. <laughs> who wants to stop and answer a questionnaire about whether or not you open the refrigerator? Yeah, and it's quite seriously, what you have then, if, if you do do it that way around, you end up with a self-selecting sample. Only the people who've opened the fridge successfully are going to answer it. The people who failed and left the door open, left the, let the butter go off, they're not going to answer the questionnaire. And so you, you end up duping yourself by collecting bad data that shows everything's okay when it isn't. That's actually a pretty good example. It's a great example. And then the other thing I'll tell you is, right, so if you stop by our booth at, at DevLearn, you probably saw anywhere between two and five people standing there, right? Well, that, that, that refrigerator doesn't do. It's just a prototype fridge with about $15 worth of, of hardware we bought, bought from uh, on Amazon. It, the, the refrigerator costs more than the, the sensor hardware. What we, we can do is we can use that data to say, who needs training? So if you are standing in the booth all day and every time you talk to a prospective customer you open and close the refrigerator but the other guy in the booth doesn't open and close the refrigerator that's two people in the booth I'm gonna notice right hundred interactions only 50 times that the refrigerator got open oh my gosh my sales team isn't doing their job everybody needs training on how to open the refrigerator well you clearly don't need training on how to open the refrigerator the other guy needs the training on how to open the refrigerator so we can use this to to target our adaptive and personalized learning much better. Instead of dipping all of the sheep in the same training, we're really being very, very focused about it. Absolutely, but hang on, Megan, let's not go too quickly down the training route. Maybe, maybe there is a learning need there, we don't know, but perhaps it's done by training, perhaps by something else, perhaps a simple job aid would do the job, I don't know. Absolutely, so, that, so, so you're good at this, right? The, <laughs> here's the thing. The, the, the data, people say, well, will, will XAPI tell me this? Will XAPI tell me that? Will X, XAPI will give you the data that you can use to start making decisions. It will not tell you answers unless your answers are very much around what actually happened, right? So what you do with that information, your ability to analyze, visualize, uh, dive deeper into and find causal relationships, that data. XAPI doesn't do that for you. Also does not make coffee or tea and, and won't schedule an Uber for you. But, you know, it, it tells you what happened. Okay, now this is a really, really important point because I love the idea that we can collect lots of data. And I love the fact that actually you could probably collect more data than you think you're going to need and later on find the correlations that are of value. But does everybody have the skills necessary to do that to interpret I, the data i mean yes and 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 here's the thing right we most of us use excel we can sort data we can filter data we can find data if you use excel you have a reason to be using excel you're looking at your data you have the ability to to look into this right a lot of this is the common sense or the instructional design sense that we have coming into this field right so so whatever model you happen to follow whether it's the 70 20 10 
don't get me started on the numbers because I know they're not the truth, but it's a, not a bad idea. Kathy Moore, Brinkerhoff, right? Whoever's model you follow, they all talk about the doing, and yet we're only measuring the training, right? Not the learning, the training. And only the part of the training that happens in an e-learning course in a learning management system. That's what we're doing now. As we don't need to be necessarily thinking much different thoughts than what we're supposed to be doing in these learning models, which is looking at what's happening outside. I feel that the analytical skills needed to make decisions like, is training the problem? What am I looking at when I see this data? Is an average a good number to be using for this particular data set? Those kinds of things are require some analytical skills, but they're, they're not hard. They may not be hard, and I take your point, but does everybody have them? Look, you may know how to sort in Excel, but do you know why you're sorting? That's the question, isn't it? You, you know, if somebody says, can you sort that column, please? Yeah, I'll go ahead and sort it. But the real question is, does that person have the necessary familiarity with data to say, ah, looking at this data set, I need to sort here because that's going to give me the answer to this question or at least provoke some thinking. And that's the question in my mind. Does everyone have that mindset, if you like? Good point. And, and, and I don't think everybody has that mindset. I don't think everybody has to go out and take a data science class. <laughs> I think L&D is very, very broad, right? So you want the people who are working with your data. You want to make sure that the people who are presenting data and, and are collecting that data know what they're doing. Does everybody in L&D need to, to know that? No. I'll tell you, I've got a team of e-learning designers and developers. They are very happy to be e-learning designers and developers. If I said, hey, I'd like you to go out and facilitate classes, they would all quit. Not all of them, <laughs> right? But so it's a big, broad field. Yeah. And not everybody has to do everything. But the people who are using the data should be sh should be adept at doing it. Yeah, Megan, it's a really good point. Uh, you know, I chair the Learning and Performance Institute, and our capability map shows that of the twenty five skills we've identified as essential for the twenty first century learning and development department, data analytics is the one which people score themselves least high on. It's the one we we do worst. It is, I think, absolutely right to say you don't need everyone to be able to do it. And also, it's not the case that everyone has to be a data scientist. You put that very well. You just have to be savvy about the data and understand what it can tell you. If you really do need a data scientist, well, you can probably borrow one from elsewhere in the organization temporarily. It's very few learning and development departments are going to need one full time. We've covered a lot of ground today. It's been really fascinating. Before we wrap up the final question, is there anything else you want to tell people about the world of XAPI that you're excited about? You know, I'm excited about seeing new tools come online that are offering data and, and offering XAPI support and really getting into it. So I've had organizations call me up, vendor software companies, right? Call me up and say, okay, now I get it. Now I want to, my data, right? These organizations have had these beautiful, right? This software has great visualizations and they've got data out the wazoo, but it's in a silo and doesn't talk to anything else. And so I get just amazing excitement out of somebody coming up and saying, hey, I get it now. I want my data where everybody else's data is. I also have to say I'm incredibly excited about the projects that I see being done in the XAPI cohort. I'm just watching as we're wrapping up the, the cohort this season, and we have a XAPI party on December 13th that will have lots of, it's a free conference, but in order to get people to come to Michigan in December, we call it a party and we serve alcohol. People 
people show up, go figure. We also have a virtual option for, for, we have an entire track of sessions that are simulcast virtually. And those will be the demo sessions from the XAPI cohort. And so, you know, there's a woman who's a recent grandmother who is using the early childhood education learning profile to build a web platform that keeps track of what happens in daycare using that. She built it from scratch. There are people who are building sandbox learning environments um, in Unity 3D that capture XAPI data. So there's, and, and there are people who are using Storyline and sending data and learning how to use JavaScript and how to report to both an LMS and an LRS at the same time. So there's, there's all sorts of projects happening where people are jumping in and learning. And that's so exciting. I, I, I love it hearing the excitement in your voice when you express that, Megan. And, and by the way, will that party, the XAPI party, be recorded, the simulcast stuff? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it will be recorded. We'll put it up on Twitter and, and LinkedIn and, and make that available. So there'll be five, five time slots. I think we're looking at seven to nine demos in that time slot that we'll be putting out. And then the next cohort starts January 30th. So it's free online virtual project-based learning about XAPI. And a lot of the vendors provide extended free trials of their tools for people in the cohort. We'll provide in the notes to this details about how you can go online and see those recordings because I think they've been valuable for people and also of course details of the XAPI cohort. Our final wrap-up questions Megan as always what do you wish you'd known when you started and what are you curious about right now? Oh boy you know when I started in L&D I started in the the LMS space and then I moved back to some of the the communications and business acumen and early work I'd done at Anderson Consulting around training and I never really thought that those two would come together right so the the the, the what you put in the system and 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 the system itself and now they're coming together and had somebody said, hey, you know what, you really ought to pay attention to that convergence. That would have been really a good thing to have figured out then. Yeah, uh -huh. I, guess, I guess we would have had to have had a bit of foresight. Nobody would have predicted it. Nobody would have predict, predicted that. But, you know, I think there's, there's so many different options in this profession. It's just really exciting to, to see what's going on. And then it, your second question is, what am I curious about right now in workplace learning? I'm actually curious about the, the, the data and the analytics and the, the visualization and how we can use it and how we can help people learn more about it. I'm actually taking a course right now in data visualization and analytics and to, to brush up some of my skills and at the same time of course as a L&D person I am critiquing the video the structure of the course the learning management platform I've already been online and annoyed all the help desk people so uh, they maybe shouldn't have invited me in <laughs> Megan it's a delight to have this conversation with you you've been incredibly helpful with your insights into and your metaphors for explaining XAPI and apart from anything else your enthusiasm is utterly contagious Thank you so much for coming on the Speaks Exchange podcast and sharing with us your understanding and vast understanding of XAPI. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been fun. Yeah.